You're live with BBC News. Now let's take you to Ukraine and the battle for Bakhmut. Nine months after launching its assault, Russia has still not managed to capture the city. It's been the longest and bloodiest battle of the war so far, but Ukrainian forces are holding out on the western edge of the city. Both sides have suffered heavy casualties. Reporting from the area is dangerous. Well, a video journalist working for the French news agency AFP was killed this week in rocket fire in a town just to the west of the city. Well, our defence correspondent Jonathan Beale and his cameraman Lee Durant travelled to the front line of the battle and sent us this special report. A rare pause in this, the longest, bloodiest battle of the war so far. But just a few hundred metres away, the Russians are still waiting. Still trying to encircle the city of Bakhmut nearby. Ukraine's president calls it a fortress of Ukrainian morale. But like these trenches, it's under attack every hour of every day. Go, go, go. There it is. Let's go down. Bakhmut's been under siege for more than nine months. We'll have to wait a little bit. So we've been now shelled by the mortar. As you can see, <laughs> that was pretty damn close. But Eugene demonstrates its continuing resistance. Let's go, quickly, quickly. Good job. So we're going to shoot back right now. Try to kill some of them. Let's get out of here. Let's go, let's go, let's go. It could be said a thousand times, but this is our country and our land. Like, what else can we do? Well, you could give up back moot and just move back. For us, if we would retreat, for example, uh, yes, we could save a few lives, but then we will have to assault back and we, will, we could uh, lost much more lives. So we, we need to stand here till the end. But even defense is taking many Ukrainian lives, young and old. Stepan's comrades call him dad. At 61, he's still half the age of the ancient Maxim gunnies firing. But he too was seriously injured, hours after we left his position. Too dangerous to enter into the cauldron of the city itself we tried to get a view from the distance. This is it. Bakhmut is burning. A line of tower blocks, pretty much all that's left standing. In a bunker, they direct artillery fire to support their infantry. Their last line of defense on the western edge of the city. This drone feed of Bakhmut tells you a scene of utter devastation. Not a building left here in the city that hasn't been either destroyed or damaged. And it just tells you how fierce this fighting has been. 
Wagner? Are they mostly Wagner fighters? Yeah. The US estimates more than 20,000 Russians have been killed in the last five months, many of them here in Bakhmut. Miroslav tells me they don't care about their people. As we watch two Russian soldiers, he says they just advance in vain hope. His comrade adds they walk towards us with no fear. He says they must be on drugs. Russia hasn't given up yet. Their artillery is still firing, but not as frequently as in the past. Ukraine hopes Bakhmut will have exhausted their enemy as they now prepare for their own offensive. But it also shows taking ground can prove even more costly. Jonathan Beale, BBC News, Bakhmut. Uh, well, let's get the thoughts now of Lieutenant General Ben Hodges in Prague. He is the former commanding general of the US Army in Europe and now works as a senior advisor to Human Rights First. That's a non-profit, non-partisan international human rights organization based in the United States. Uh, ben Hodges, thank you for being with us. Uh, can I get your thoughts, first of all, on what we were hearing there from our correspondent Jonathan Beale about Bakhmud being the longest and bloodiest uh, center of the war so far, between 20 and 30,000 Russian troops killed there. Why is that city so important and what does it tell us about the shape of this war? Oh, great reporting by Jonathan. <clears throat> Bakhmut is strategically important to Ukraine only because Russia continues to feed uh, so many troops and resources into that meat grinder. The city itself, the location itself, is not necessarily strategically important, uh, but the the fact that the Russians have chosen to focus on it has given Ukraine an opportunity to bleed them uh, while they build up their own forces for this, what we assume will be a counteroffensive sometime when the conditions are all set. So in, in military doctrine, we would call it an economy of force. Of course, the Ukrainians are suffering terrible casualties there, but they've been able to hang on to Bakhmut without having to commit these armored formations that they have been building up and training. So strategically, in the end, Ukraine, I believe, will get a big payoff because of the sacrifice of these soldiers there in Bakhmut. Um, and given, therefore, what you've said, why does Russia simply not say it is not worth the cost in resources and in human lives and pull out, uh, even hearing from Ukraine saying the whole point of Bakhmut is to keep the enemy there? Why are they still there? Well, you've put your finger right on the biggest vulnerability the Russians are suffering, from which the Russians are suffering. It's the total incoherence inside their command structure. Uh, the result of that, of course, is an incoherent approach to this war. Uh, we all watched uh, Mr. Pergosian's rant the other day. He does not take any orders uh, from uh, General Gerasimov or Minister Shoigu, but yet he blames them for not providing resources. Uh, you've got Kadyrov, who is another one of these medieval warlords. So all of these different factions on the Russian side are not working together. They're not uh, adhering to one sort of uh, operational approach. And so uh, that you've got Prigozhin, and I'm going to speculate here, I think he has locked in on Bakhmut because he thought that this was a place where he could get a victory. 
And now this is his business model. It's about his pride. And um, I, I think now he's trying to put the blame on the uh, the government for not supporting him to explain why he has his forces have still not captured Bakhmut. This is why I think they are locked in on there because it's not a coherent part of an overall plan. And speaking of that overall plan, if we look at the war in general, lots of speculation about Ukraine's spring offensive, uh, not necessarily tied to dates or seasons, but nonetheless, it's about getting those troops ready, getting the resources ready and making sure that the weather conditions, amongst other things, are correct. Um, but it's also about supplies coming from the West. Does Ukraine have what it needs to launch that spring offensive? I think the uh, general staff, the Ukrainian general staff, which has done a great job of planning and organizing and also uh, protecting information, um, will tell President Zelensky they're ready when they believe that they have enough combat power that is properly trained and resourced to achieve the objectives they're going to set out for it, which I believe will be to penetrate on narrow fronts uh, these Russian linear defenses. Uh, the second condition will be when they're confident that the Russian defenses have been disrupted, the artillery, the logistics, Command and control have been disrupted adequately. And then the third condition, of course, is the ground. Is, is the trafficability going to be able to sustain or enable uh, a lot of armored vehicles moving, uh, moving across that ground? I think that they are probably close to this, but I don't think they have everything they need yet. Um, for whatever reason, we, the West, despite all the good that we have done, we still stop short of saying we want Ukraine to win. If mm -hmm. we did that, then there'd be no more excuses about providing longer range precision weapons, uh, fixed wing aircraft, et cetera. Nonetheless, yeah. I think we're within a few weeks of them being ready to go. Um, Lieutenant General Ben Hodges, we're really grateful for your insights. Uh, fascinating to hear from you. Thank you for being with us here on BBC News.